Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me, as always, is someone always up for high adventure, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you doing? I'm swell. Hey, we have a guest star. Yes, our guest star is Andrea Nasfell. She's a screenwriter whose most recent credits include the television Christmas movies Every Other Holiday from Lifetime and Holiday for Heroes from Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. She's also the writer of other comedies, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone with Blumhouse and Mom's Night Out with Sonia Firm. Uh, Mom's Night Out in specific won a Dove Award for Inspirational Film of the Year. Uh, Andrea is a member of the WGA and she teaches screenwriting at USC and she earned an MFA in creative writing from Spalding University. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much. We're so glad you're here. Yeah, we're so glad you're here. Uh, And this is a situation in which you chose the movie. Uh, We're doing Swiss Family Robinson today. And Andrea, I was wondering what it was about Swiss Family Robinson that made you want to do this movie. Swiss Family Robinson was just a big part of my childhood. I, I watched this movie, of course, but then I had other friends in my neighborhood that also were obsessed with this movie. And we played Swiss Family Robinson, like in the cul-de-sac. Everyone would come out and we had, like we'd go over someone's log pile, you know, their firewood pile and get a board and put it over the top and make our little tree house or whatever. And just that like, pretend that we were on an island and we were all surviving together. So it was... um it was not only a movie that I like to watch, but a movie that I feel like sparked my imagination. And um, just imagining what would it be like to live in that tree house, to have those adventures? Could I survive? <laughs> Do you guys have it's- the fantasy of staying over in the Magic Kingdom, but living in the tree house that night? Yes. That's one of Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, yes. That is one of my fantasies. Uh, a fun, fun fact I had a computer game called Swiss Family Robinson. It was created by Windham Classics. It was a word adventure, sort of like Zork, where you explored the island. But every time I played it, it ended with me dying in quicksand. Because if you walked into a spot with quicksand, you just, you could hold on to the reeds for a while, but inevitably you would die. And that I was surprised to find out that's not how the story ends. So... (laughs) <laughs> well, and th- and thankfully for us, it does not end that way. So um, some key facts to set the stage here for us. Um, this movie is an adaptation of the 19 or sorry, 1812 novel by Johann Davis Weiss, the Swiss family Robinson. Weiss was a, um, <clears throat> a Swiss pastor in Bern, and it was his only novel. It was designed sort of as a legacy piece for the life lessons he shared with his four sons. And when the Weiss family was home together, they spent a lot of time, Johann spent a lot of time taking his family on outdoor adventures, and they all enjoyed reading adventure books in the evenings. And a book they especially uh, enjoyed was Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe, which is, a, I think, early 1700s book. And out of the family's what-if stories in the evenings comes this tale of a shipwrecked family with the last name Robinson. So I thought that was kind of cool. That's like all things, right? This family project grow, you know, grows out of the stories they tell to each other growing up. And each son would tell a story, and their father would write it down, and it becomes this eight hundred page manuscript. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's huge. 
And the book involves moments of adventure plus instruction, and it clearly has some Protestant overtones. So there's an RKO film called Swiss Family Robinson that's made in 1940. And Walt Disney had to buy the rights to this film in order to do the remake. And you can see this film on Disney Plus as of this taping. It's there anyway. Um, So in July of 1957, director Ken Anakin told the LA Times that this movie was an example of what not to do in making this movie. (laughs) So instead of making a movie on a screen lot, the Disney version is shot on location in Tobago from August to December of 1959. And the animal race scene around the treehouse is finished in January of, uh, of 1960. Now, there are actually two treehouses. There's one uh, in a 200-foot salmon tree on the island. It was built on location. And then one is in a massive studio in Goodwood in the UK, uh, at Disney Studios in the UK for interiors. And art director John Howell spotted the tree through a gap in the fence at the corner of a cricket field just outside the town of Goldsboro, and the rest is history. After production, Disney had intended to take down the island tree, but the locals really wanted to keep it. Now, the treehouse itself was destroyed in a hurricane in 1963, and the tree suffered some burn damage in uh, 2018, but it still stands on Cal Farm Road, just off Windward Road in Goldsboro, Tobago, should you ever be in the neighborhood. Just wow. a little travel, little travel fact there for you. Um, <clears throat> I ran across this great line from actor John Mills, who said of the making of Swiss Family Robinson, um, you know, people asked him, like, what, what was it like? Was it was it a high adventure? And he said, well, if a, if a scorpion doesn't bite me during the night, I get into the car. And if it doesn't skid off the edge of a cliff, I reach the mangrove squamp. I, uh, I walk through, and if I'm not sucked in by a quicksand, eaten alive by land crabs, or bitten by a snake, I reach the beach. I change on the beach, trying to avoid being devoured by insects, and walk into the sea. If there are no sharks or barracudas about, we get the shot and do the whole thing in reverse, providing, of course, we haven't died of sunstroke in the meantime. Uh Tommy Kirk, on the other hand, at a D23 convention, said it was like the greatest time of his life in movie making. So I think different people had different experiences. You know what? I think it shows in their performance. Father does not seem to be having a great time. But <laughs> no. Tommy Kirk, Tommy Kirk really does seem to be delighted. Yes, yes. And of course, you know, John Mills is the father of another famous Disney actor, Haley Mills, who we here at Once Upon a Disney Podcast know from That Darn Cat and The Parent Trap, right? And the movie, as we said, features the brother duo of uh, Tommy Kirk and Kevin Corcoran, who we saw in The Shaggy Dog. Very cool. They love to recast those uh, family members. They do. And I think it's like, I think it's so fun. I've thought about this a lot. Like, why do they keep recasting the same people? And, you know, earlier, Andrea, you said it was like we we played Swiss Family Robinson. But, you know, I think we get to see kids playing in different scenes and different scenarios and scenes. And so then we as children get to go, oh, we can play that. Oh, we can play this. Oh, we can pretend that. So, yeah. And. We, we did the first two seasons without a single Tommy Kirk movie, and now we're in season three, and <laughs> half, half of the six episodes we've done have him. And I, we didn't plan for that at all. It's just funny how that, how that uh, shook out. That's right. All right. To do my least favorite feature on this podcast, uh, mm-hmm. let's start with Racist Roundup. 
there are two things that I want to bring up here. Uh, again, it is not our goal to explore uh, race issues necessarily. We're not the people to do it or make decisions about what is racist and what is not racist. But we do want to acknowledge things where we see them. Uh, and I think the, there are two things to acknowledge here. Uh, the first I'd like to acknowledge is that the pirates uh, were, are portrayed in not a great way. Uh, granted, they are pirates, but this world does sort of set up a, you know, Caucasian family going going to distant lands and like reinforces some xenophobic stereotypes about about how we'll be received there. Also, I am reasonably certain that whatever specific, uh, I don't think there's a specific, but whatever ethnicity uh, the pirates are supposed to be, not all of those actors are of that ethnicity. Uh, and I'll just put that out there uh, without exploring it much further. I don't I don't think we have to go deep into to an examination of the pirates just to acknowledge. I, I just want to acknowledge it's wrong. Um, the other thing I want to talk about briefly, and it might be a little more subtle, there is criticism of this movie in the idea that it mythologizes uh, colonialism. Uh, we have these Caucasian settlers who are set to go to another to another land, and even what, though they never get to New Guinea, uh, when 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 they get to this island, there is a reading of this movie that the first thing that they do is they uh, enslave the animal inhabitants to do their will. Uh, there's a monkey who becomes their butler. There's an elephant who is offered sugarcane and trapped. There's an ostrich. There's just a number of animals who are pressed into service. And it may read uh, as an ugly metaphor for what, what uh, the colonists did to Native and Indigenous peoples in other areas. I want to acknowledge the ugly. I want to acknowledge the ugliness of that. Uh, I cannot speak as to whether that is the intention uh, of anyone involved in writing this movie. I just know that people have read it that way, and if you and if you've read it that way, I want to acknowledge any feelings that you may have about that. I hate this segment, Andy. It's a hard segment. Again, hindsight is. I mean, I think, I hope we're in a different place and I think we move forward and then let's move do better. forward. Let's do it. <laughs> let's move forward in every sense of the word and start yes. talking about the Manish Tana. Uh, and with Swiss Family Robinson, I think this is particularly interesting why this movie starts where it starts. During the, I mean, it opens up, it starts in the credits. We see a ship in the ocean, uh, in stormy weather. And then, I mean, but I mean, that's not even really the start of the movie. That's the credit sequence. And then boom, immediately we see that the, the, the ship has crashed and the Robinson family has emerged uh, from whatever cabin they were, they were hiding in. And I, this is, this is rare for me because well, it's going to bleed into structure a little bit. I wonder why we're starting here rather than starting a little bit earlier. Um, anyone want to take the ball with that one? Oh, well, to me, I just laughed because it felt like the studio note you get all the time where it's like, could we start, could we start a little later? 
could we like they always want to cut out the exposition that you're trying to the ordinary world that you're trying to lay at the beginning of your story. And then they're like, uh, can we just cut all that and get right? It's like they want to have the inciting incident on page two. And uh, so this movie gave it to them. It it totally does. I yeah. mean, we, we begin. I, I think and, and I want to merge this with structure just a little bit. I think we're starting after the inciting incident that the this is actually a movie in which maybe the inciting incident happened before the movie began. Because I would argue that the thing that this story that starts our journey is the Robinson family crashes onto a desert island. And that happens before second one of any of the characters appearing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, if that's the studio note, if there's a shipwreck, we we best get to it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I like the fact that we're in the middle of a shipwreck, and I also like the fact that how these uh, folks get out of the shipwreck is by Dad barking orders at them. Right? He is. Yes. He's, he's almost. He's almost me. I mean, he's mean, he and he's is barking mean. orders at them, and everybody's listening to him, and. Nobody's really working together, and he's sort of tyrannical. And we learn a lot about this family, and you're like, I mean, they are never going to make it. Like, if that is the way it is, like, these folks are not going to make it. And I, you know, I love, I love that. I, I, I think, I think it starts right where it should start. Um, because I want to, I can always go back. I mean, it's a, it's a feast for the eyes. There, there, all this stuff going on. It's in Panavision. I'm sitting in a movie theater watching a shipwreck. It's larger than life. And I want to know, I want to know what, what's, why, how did they get there? What happens? And it, it, it rolls it out slowly, like the exposition of why they're there and that they, and we know that, that like father's really upset because he's being derailed from his plans for New Guinea, Right. And I'm like, okay, he's the protagonist and this is what's going on. But then it becomes so much more about a story about how to work together as a team versus somebody, you know, barking orders. And so I think it sets it up from there. In a traditional movie, I think what we would see is we'd have a scene where father comes home and tells the family that they're moving that they're relocating, that they're going to the colony of New Guinea. And maybe some of the kids are excited about it, and some of the kids are upset about being uprooted. Maybe mom needs to be convinced, because in the time period, you know, uh, who would even discuss it with their wives before uh, right. before making the decision to up, uproot to, to another land? Uh, you know, but but that would be where we'd start. We would go on the ship. We would spend a little time with the characters. Then the storm. Then the pirate attack. And that would be the inciting incident. But I agree with you. I don't know that I I feel like I'm missing any of that in this movie. I don't know that I need to see any of that. I think they catch us up pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think that if you've seen the 1940 version of this film... You, you're like, oh my God, please get on with it. Please get on with <laughs> I it. I tried to watch it and I couldn't make it. I couldn't oh, it's make horrible. It like it's, I, I got 10 <laughs> minutes in and I'm like, can we just get them on the ship already? Because they're not there. And I think, I really think that's a response almost to that. If, if, if uh, the director had seen that movie and said, hey, this is not the way we want to make this one, that may be 
I don't know. That may be what he's thinking there. One of the things he chose not to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The the other thing that it lets happen is we don't have to experience trauma with this family, right? Whatever the family was going through in the hold of the ship, if they were all holding each other and praying, if, if they were making their peace with their makers, if they got bowed their heads in prayer because they, they think they're going to die, um, that's a really dark way to start a movie that's going to be a family fun island movie. So maybe it's just best to have them emerge from the hold. It doesn't actually seem like the experience was traumatic to anyone in there. And just like avoid that ugly side uh, of of what that experience would be like. Uh, that being said, do you think uh, and I, you know, normally when my students say this in the movie, w- w- say this about movie, when they say the inciting incident happens before the movie, I mark it wrong on tests because that can't happen in a movie. Yeah. Um, except I, I really do think it does here, but I would be thrilled if either of you can point to another moment as the inciting incident and be like that this actually is where the movie gets started. I don't know. I think them crashing on the rock. I mean, my test for inciting incident is always like, if this didn't happen, the movie wouldn't happen. If the ship doesn't crash on the rock, the movie doesn't happen. The structure of this movie, I think, is it feels like three acts, right? But I feel like the story purpose changes in each of the acts. I mean, it feels like three separate stories in one movie. First, we have this family that's shipwrecked and they need shelter and and really we see the father going from being this really angry guy to <clears throat> to being more of a you know proud of what he's able to build for himself on the island with his family and just and the second story is kind of about progeny you know how will they find a girl and then get back to the family you know how are, and then how are they all going to get back to the family without getting killed or killing each other <laughs> and of course they do get back in just in time for christmas right and that's kind of the end of that story. And then the third sequence is is sort of a, um, it contains those three three dramatic questions, which is how do we defeat the pirates? Who's going to get the girl? Are we going to stay here forever? And that all right. gets wrapped up in that. Th- so it feels like three separate episodic kinds of stories uh, in, in one, one feature. And as we talked about when we did uh, the Davy Crockett movie, uh, you know, I'm sure Walt had one eye towards if we make this something with three separate stories, it'll turn into three TV episodes pretty neatly. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure that was a part of the structuring of this, too. I don't sure. believe that you should make movies with the intent of keeping an eye towards how it will be cut up into three separate parts on TV. Uh, but maybe that's why Walt is a huge mega success, and maybe maybe I am less so. You can't argue with the results, but uh, I I maybe that was a gutsy move to make back in the day that we just wouldn't replicate now. Well, I think it's a different time, right? And it's like the idea is okay if we can if we can't if this bombs at the box office, at least we can salvage it for the TV show. Yeah. Right. I, I think so. That's there's right. always, I mean, that's, and this is a different t- yeah, this is a different time. So now it's like, well, we've got now the, the question would be, okay, we've got 30 seconds to hook these people before they change the, <laughs> change the channel. We, let's get that hook in there quick. Right. 
we don't have time for this and the, you know, everybody's settling back to get their popcorn or whatever. So it's just a different, and it's just, and, and also if I'm showing this on a, if somebody's watching this on their phone, what does it look like, right? These are, it's just new questions for different, different day, I think. All right. I want to talk about rising action a little bit uh, because we need to get through it in order to, to go over the plot. I'm going to point out that there are a number of sequences in this movie. They make land. There's the sequence in which they make their first escape from the ship uh, and they make landfall. Uh, they, the family and the dogs make landfall. Then they go back to the ship a second time and get all the other animals and make landfall again. There's the sequence in which they make shelter. And I, and I want to throw out to you, one of the questions I often have about this movie is I have no idea how much time we're supposed to expect happened between each of these sequences. It really does seem like this amazing treehouse because they bring Mother to it and Mother is surprised when she sees it. And and like it really seems like they did the bulk of the work on that treehouse in maybe half a day's time. <laughs> Um, what's mother been doing all this time just sitting on the beach by herself like what's going on trying that to keep beach is not safe, getting killed right but yeah <laughs> that we, we know there's a tiger yeah. on the island that keeps going right. to the beach uh they do have it they you know what's really sad makes me really sad about swiss family robinson when i see that house is knowing that if it was me and my family we wouldn't even have eeyore's house <laughs> Like, I couldn't right. put those sticks together and have them stay up the way Eeyore is. I, I feel really inadequate looking at the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse. I they do have, a lot, a, lot, they have a lot of skills, right? Yeah, yeah they, I mean, I guess they were planning to go to a new colony, so they probably picked people that had certain skills for building, creating, engineering. But, I mean, that that is what I thought a lot about, is anyone from today, if we were stranded on an island, would we have the first idea how to create a little thing that does running water into a tortoise shell or, you know, all these inventive things that they did. I, I would also be huddled on the beach, probably. I, my daughter, I, my daughter would know how to do all of this. I, I would stick closely <laughs> to her. And and uh, I have a husband who's an engineer. I, I, I'll, I'll hang You'd with You'd be okay. Too. Yeah, I'll You'd be, be okay. okay. I'll be all right. I mean, my, my family and I are doomed. <laughs> um, that's so... Uh. That sequence happens. They build the house. Once the house is built, Fritz and Ernst, the two older boys, decide they want to see if this is actually an island or part of a peninsula. And we have an extended version in which they sail around the island. They encounter the pirates again. The pirates have two prisoners, uh, one one of which uh, turns out to be Roberta, who, who they believe to be a boy. I don't know why. Um, she is she not is, a big surprise, but she's I, not I, a boy. I I did not gasp when it was revealed that she was a girl. I kind I of did gasped. as a child. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that worked but on my me. My question was, why does pulling on me. the hat? Why did pulling the hat reveal it? It's like she she has short hair, so like when she had the hat on, she was a boy, but when she has the hat off. Oh. She's, She's a got girl. a boy's haircut. What? That was part of the disguise. I had the same. I had the same. I guess there's something about the forehead. It's she when the music. Very well, the music changed. The music changes. The music changed. Well. <laughs> let me know when I was, okay. you know, seven. But uh, and at the drive-in movie watching this. But yes. 
So then Fritz and Ernst and Roberta have to find their way back to the treehouse. And because there's a, you know, lady among them, we start to see conflict arise between Fritz and Ernst. But now, once everybody is back and they arrive back on Christmas, uh, there's the question of the pirates may come back. How do we build defenses against the pirates? At the same time, we also have this love triangle going on. I would argue, because we've got these dis uh, different threads, that it's possible that we have multiple climaxes in this movie, depending on which of these threads we're most, uh, we're most involved in. The rescue, uh, the, the putting off of the pirates, or the love triangle. And I'll throw the question out to the two of you. What would you identify as a climax for this movie? Well, the battle against the pirates obviously feels like the big climax. It's the thing that they're building towards. It's kind of the big plan for Act 3. And then when they finally come and are defeated, that, that feels very climax-ish. It's the forces of evil and the forces of good contending with each other. It is absolutely the place where the stakes are the highest. Um, you know, the Robinson family could die here. Instead, they get to, I mean, I mean, they brutally slaughter their opponents. Uh, <laughs> not brutally. Well, I mean, they throw them into a pit with a tiger. That's pretty, that's pretty brutal. Hey, they mother shoots somebody at, at, mother gets to shoot someone at point blank range. So, I, I mean. Did you guys she, cheer when mother shot someone at point blank, yes. blank range? Because finally she had something to do. <laughs> I I did Sorry. too. I did I did have like a little bit of tinge. Like 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 I was tinged by the fact that mother seems like the sort of person who's going to carry that burden for the rest of her life that she had to right. do that in defense of her family. Uh I don't know how thrilled she is, but I was glad to see that for once she put down the parasol and picked up and picked up mother's true enemy is sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that That's is who right. she is. She is fighting most of the yes. movie. Uh, so I, I would agree with you. That is, and that is what feels like a climax the most. Yeah. Are and the we, thing about the thing about that too, is that they're all working together. So instead of yes. every person for themselves, they're all working, like all of them are working. All of them are throwing coconut bombs. All of them are shooting pirates. They're all doing this as a team. And is, I would argue that the, the, plot line between the love triangle gets um, resolved w in one way or another, depending on if they defeat the pirates. If they don't defeat the pirates, then nobody gets Roberta because she's carted off uh, right. with them, right? So it, that, I mean, in a way, the, the battle against the pirates is also a battle for Roberta, even though we still don't know which one of the boys, you know, will win her heart. Yeah, no, and I, I although I think we do know. I think we know that one has won and one has lost. I think the other boy might not know that the that the situation is resolved, but I think we in the audience know that it's resolved. Um, is is there anything else that feels like a climax? I I would argue the rescue doesn't because it's not the, it's not our characters doing anything. Another ship shows up. They they made it. They ran out the clock. They survived long enough for a ship to come out. So, so while that might be the thing they were waiting for, it isn't a climax because it's not a moment of testing for them. And the, uh, I think there's a thing that is a very subtle climax in the, in the love triangle. Uh, 
And it is the moment where Ernst sees Fritz and Roberta making out a little bit. They're not even making out, they're kissing. Um, I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna overdo it. It's still a Disney movie. He he goes in, he sees it, and like there's a question of, well, how's he going to respond to it? And he just honors it, and they never talk about like there's almost a climax in that moment. But yeah. he decides, let's not have a climax here. And and they just and they just move it out. Uh, so I, I think I think there are a couple of places where we might have expected to see climaxes, but they kind of fizzle. They're not the real one. The pirate fight is the real one. I want to uh, back up back us up just one second. Like when they start the first national holiday of New Switzerland, um, that to me feels like something's going to happen. Something big's going to happen because this is a big moment for this family in their quest to do whatever. And then I think it's so it's such a nice reversal. Uh, you know, you have everyone having fun and having a good time and they're, you know, they're, they're doing this race and there's a cake involved and everybody's going to have a great time. And then bam, all these pirates are there. So I, I, right, I love I com- that reversal. It's great. It's great. I completely forgot about the race when I was doing rising action and the race I think is the most fun mm-hmm. part of the movie from, from like, like the sheer happiness of being a child watching this movie, I think one of the one of the games you want to play is the race and who sure. who gets what animal and which which animal do you pick? I'm 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 with the elephant, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean, if I was small enough, like the monkey, to ride the dog, that's where <laughs> I would go. I think yeah. the dog has it in terms of speed. Well, the ostrich has it in terms of speed, but I see the time that Ernst. Ha- but again, <laughs> I the animal I would pick is the animal Mother picks. I would take my parasol and fight off the sunburn <laughs> with her. Mother makes and a in cake. a way, in a way, I would be the real winner. Me and Mother sip- <laughs> sipping from our coconuts. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so then we have some falling action. Uh, and in the falling action is really where the love triangle uh, gets resolved. Uh, Roberta and Fritz decide to stay together and to stay together on the island. Father and mother are staying on the island. Uh, Ernst is going to get his dream of going to the university. Uh, and he's very excited about that. He's going to leave the island. And the movie ends with the idea that this is going to be a new colony that father is going to probably be the governor of and that um that uh you know the family is separated but they're kind of glad to see Ernst go it's weird it's it's <laughs> I, I i look at that moment and i'm like this is not you're not going to see your son for years but but they all seem pretty happy about that, I guess, and 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 happy happy ever after, right? Yeah, I mean there is no like concern about Ernst going to London as Napoleon's taking over everything, right? There's kind of that that line that that they that the parents deliver to themselves about Napoleon and why they had to get out of where they need to get out. But then their boys going back to London, and I'm like, oh, okay, well. There it is. Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore. At least There's they won't be. <laughs> there. That's what mother cares about. <laughs> At least they won't I, be fighting, right? <laughs> for, yeah. for sure. I think the implication is whatever degree Ernst gets, he's probably coming back to the island and he's probably coming back with a partner in tow. 
uh, to help populate it. And, and I don't know that that's true. And I hope that someone tells Ernst that he has other choices, um, you know, in his in his life, should he sh- choose to avail themselves of it. But but that's the sense that I get of it, that it is it is going to be a several year parting, parting but a temporary parting. Well, and the and the. You know, Francis is really the real winner here because he's excited about staying and the seven-year-olds in the audience are thrilled that Francis does not have to leave all this wonderful, you know, Zootopia that he's created and his menagerie <laughs> of of animals. So he's excited. Well, yes, until he realizes there are no girls. Uh, and then he's like, I was seven years old and you made a decision for me to be alone forever. <laughs> Sure, I wanted to play with my monkey and my tiger, but now I'm 13, mother. Uh, father, I hate you. I'm going to go live with Ernst. That's, yeah. that's, yeah, well, that's that. my dramatic reading from, from my unofficial <laughs> fan fiction sequel. No, I mean, I think they, you know, they make a new home. They go back home in the second act. You know, the, the two boys do. It's almost a reversal, but not quite. And then they stay at home, right? And it's definitely a whole reversal from what they wanted in the beginning. And I think that's kind of a cool, I don't know. I think it's just really, it's pretty well done. I think that we've fallen in love not only with their characters, but with the place, like with the treehouse, with the idea of things, especially watching it now. And, you know, society is so fast paced and we're just getting all this information in our faces all the time. Like the idea that you could live with that kind of simplicity and peacefulness, it's very appealing. And I, I think if they all got on the boat, I would be sad if they all left, you know, I would like, well, you're going to leave that beautiful paradise behind. Like they should, they should stay. I I don't want to get too much into the biblical reading of this, but I think there is an idea here that they have stumbled onto Eden yeah, and found their home in Eden. That they, that they have given, with the exception of Ernst, that they have, you know, given, given, uh, come back to the, what's really important. The trappings of civilization are not important. What is important is living in harmony with the garden that you've been given to tend. They defend that island against the forces of evil. Um, you know, there's even a brother versus brother conflict, which, you know, the Old Testament is full of, but it mm-hmm. ends it ends peacefully and not, you know, in murder. And <laughs> and we're supposed to say like this is the new start of like this is this is like the new start for humanity is on this island. Right. Uh, and I mean it's and, almost a Noah's Ark story, right? From the beginning. Yes. Because there's a here's an ark and it's got all these animals on it and we've crash landed it into a place where there's nobody else there and we have to make I, make I it. I do go think of it. it's funny. We make a big deal of rescuing all of those animals who never show up in the movie again <laughs> for the most part. The dogs do. The dogs yes. do. But but like the they're like, we gotta save all these animals from the shark. And I'm like, what what do you think the future for that pig is, guys? Um like let the shark have the pig. <laughs> no, you gotta eat the What's, pig, dude. Yeah. They ain't they they end, I I'm assuming that those animals aren't really rescued, if you know what I mean. <laughs> They're rescued for their own sake. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Wow. Yeah, maybe the ducks are okay. All right. Should we move into character? <laughs> sure. Let's talk about Father Robinson, played by Sir John Mills. What do we think? Okay. I hated him. <gasps> and I don't I don't mean like in terms of as a performer, but 
everybody emerges from that ship, from the shipwreck, and they are in different movies. It is it is very clear. Like Tommy Kirk comes out and he's like, "Isn't this great? Now we have a ship and we have an island." And and, and uh, Francis is like, "Look at all the animals that are on the ship. They can all be my pets." And like everybody's having a good time. And Father's like, "Shut up! <laughs> Don't you realize we're all about to die? We're doomed, doomed! I tell you, unless we can find a way off this. It's it is." He's just in a different movie. Mm. And I don't I I suspect some of this comes from the fact that he is a trained actor and the traditions of the time, you know, Stanislavski and finding your truth and finding the realism don't necessarily blend well with the fantasy of let's be on an island and isn't it wonderful. I found him to be at one point Ernst says, "Look at all of these flags." And those flags are going to be important later on. And Father's like, shut up about those flags. <laughs> <laughs> shut up about maritime law. Uh, Fritz has an idea. And he's like, shut up, Fritz. We can't use any of these guns. All of them are wet. And it's just like, it's like, dude, you know, you're the one who decided to be on this ship. You made that decision for your family. Your kids are trying to help. So I had a dislike from him immediately. And it never went away until he decided to have a holiday with them, which for me was the first instance where I actually saw a father loving his children mm. and realizing he was pushing them too hard and working them too hard and that there needed to be some joy for them. Is, is my reading wrong? It might be wrong. I don't think so. I, I think I was more focused on the kids when I ever watched it as a child. I, I didn't think a lot about the dad, but um, then just comparing it to the dad in the book, um, who is uses the word delightful at least three times a chapter, or they were delighted. Like everything is about um, how can how can this situation make us into better people? <laughs> you know, he has a very different outlook on life, and and so it is. It was a stark contrast then to come back and see exactly how the father was portrayed, which especially when they're on the boat and getting started. I, I think I I appreciated him more when he made the house and all of yes. the little things that he did for mother. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because he truly loved her. Like all the little things that he remembered. She wanted, she had this moment where she said, I want to sleep at night looking at the stars. And so he, you know, made a special window they could open so she could do that. So he, he truly loved her. Um, but I think there's a couple things, obviously what you said before about him, you know, this is his plans have been derailed. This was not mm-hmm. where he was going. He was going right. to New Guinea. But also, Andy, what you read in the fun, in the kind of the facts at the beginning about the actor having so much trouble, I wonder, I wonder if Sir John Mills had been a little more comfortable if father would have not been portrayed so harshly. <laughs> well, I mean, I yeah. think, I think that's right. I think his arc is sort of completed in the first act, which is... I mean, he goes from being really wildly angry to being pretty content with being there and even getting like, you know, more delighted as it goes and realizing that he's not the only player. Because I think in the beginning of this story, he sees himself as kind of, oh, I've shipwrecked my family. Well, where's the other crew? They deserted us. They deserted me, basically. Yeah. 
my wife, Betsy, uh, did watch the RKO movie, and she she did her own little research, and she shared this with me, that Father in, I think, the RKO, RKO movie is dissatisfied with his children, does not like his sons, openly says this, because he feels that civilization has ruined them, mm-hmm. and that they don't know how to work hard, and they don't know how to take care of themselves, and they're not self-sufficient, and only grows to care for them once they've learned how to become real men and tame the wilderness, uh, right. like that, that he looks at this as this island is the thing that's going to take my boys and turn them into men. Um, you know, as someone who still wants to give piggyback rides sometimes, it's a little hard for me to to find that point of view sympathetic. Um, you know, like I, I, I do kind of want my children to be children as long as they possibly can. I, I want them to eventually be self-sufficient, but, but I, I like having kids, and I don't know that father ever liked having kids, uh, in this movie. Okay, that's a dark read on him. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll have kinder words from mother. Well, mother played by Dorothy McGuire, who, of course, you know, is an incredible actor and has lots of screen. Let's see, you see her in lots of different uh, movies. She has quite a range. I think she's the voice of reason here, Larry um, and Andrea. I think she doesn't do much um, except make objections and raise concerns and and have her parasol right. But she does join uh, in the fighting at the end of the movie. But I think the objection she makes to John or to father, which is so weird that they call each other father and mother and don't really have real names in this movie. Um, <clears throat> that's just a sidebar. But I, I think the information she gives to him is it was a right decision to make to come to do this. We made the right decision. We've just been derailed. Now we have to make the most of what this is. And so the two of them kind of have this dance where they go back and forth with that. You know, was this the right place? Was this the a good a good decision? And then by the end of it, of course, when they make the decision, when she says, I want to stay, and he's clearly been growing in love with the place, right? It's a nice little payoff to that day. I did. I did like when he said, is this what you really want? Yes. And then it's finally like, all right, buddy, it's not just about you. That that was a great that was yeah. a great moment. I I will say I will say I think mother is the real person in charge of the family, in in a sense, um like he, he like in order for him to do make any decisions about the family he does need to go to her and get permission. He does need to convince her that it's okay for the boys to sail around the island, and there's like an under, understanding that like like look I'll talk to your mother about it Be, that that her feelings really are the most important thing to him, as as Andrea pointed out. Did you guys cringe at the moment where Father says, look, we need to talk about what happens if something happens to me. If something happens to me, Fritz, you're in charge, and Ernst. And then Francis, the little seven-year-old, goes, and then me. And then he goes, yes, <laughs> and then you. And I'm sitting there going, and then wait mother? a second. <laughs> wait. <laughs> are you saying seriously, all three of the teen and adult men are dead, the seven-year-old boy is in charge, not his mother, not the teenage girl. It really is that patriarchal. It'll go down that way. Uh, I, I don't imagine that movie. Imagine that turn where they're like, all right, all right, Francis, 
You're in charge now. <laughs> I, uh, I, I guess yeah. if it was really 1812, yeah. things were viewed differently. I I guess, but yeah, I mean, that, she's that considered part- to be she's considered to be property in 1812. Oh boy! And the fact that he <laughs> I, and the fact that he does anything for her at all or considers her feelings is is pretty pretty darn progressive. Uh, all things are relative, right? That's right. Uh, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what do so, we think about uh, Fritz, James MacArthur's character? I have to ask, who's Team Fritz and who's Team Ernst? Ooh, great question. Well, that is a that is something I'm gonna have to think about. <laughs> I have my answer. I'm Team Ernst. I'm okay. Team, Team Ernst, Ernst too, all the way. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think Fritz. I'll, I'll be for Fritz. He's a deep well. I mean, he he's set up as sort of being the brawn to Ernst's brains, right? Um, he wants to be a part of the new colony for adventure. Like he likes the idea of adventure, but then he's also wistful and thinks about his old. Stomping grounds, and I think he's at a deeper well. I think Ernst talks a lot, but I think Fritz is a more of a doer. Fritz is definitely more of a doer, but and and maybe and maybe he's the manlier of the two of them. In sure, in terms of you're you're on an island. I mean, you know, they, these guys take their shirts off all the time. I'm not that impressed <laughs> by what I see, but I think we're I think we're supposed to like it. Um, but, but for me, so the thing about Ernst is I really do believe that we're on this planet to learn and to gain knowledge. Uh, and, and I don't necessarily know that everything there's Ernst is problematic in a number of different ways, but when it comes to Roberta, Ernst puts himself out there in an open, honest way and says, I would love to go to London if you were there with me. And that is clear, open, emotional availability. He makes no secret of his crush on her. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Fritz is like, you know, you're going to be drawn to me by my sheer masculine energy. You have no <laughs> choice. Uh, you, you will want me. And this movie posits that we would, through Roberta... That a woman will pick the, the the manliest man and not the emotionally available one. That was always the most confusing element of it to me. I like it, the, it, the story, you're right, it pushes her towards him, but I'd never really understood why. I mean, I had a huge crush on Tommy Kirk, like any movie he was in. So, sure. that, you know, so that, you know, was part of it. But also, I mean, and I think one of the great things about both these characters is they're, they both have strengths and they both have flaws. Yeah. And so it makes them um, yin and yang to each other in a lot of ways. And um, and I like that I can't be like, well, he, of course it's him because everything about him is right. There, There's there's positives and negatives on both sides. But I, but I agree that I always felt like Ernst was the one that was more earnest, <laughs> like his name. And, mm-hmm. um, and, also, it is very attractive, like you said, when he, you know, comes out and he's like, this ship is ours and look at these flags and look at this island. Like that type of an outlook on life is very attractive instead of the, you know, the father outlook, like everything is horrible. So I, I found that very attractive characteristic in Ernst that he was always learning, always excited, always trying to invent a new thing. Um, I, I found that very attractive and I didn't understand why Roberta didn't see it. Roberta's <laughs> through line, in fact, is... She tries, 
Like, she tries to get Fritz to say, wouldn't you take a job with father if it meant to be with me? Wouldn't you come to London if it meant to be with me? Wouldn't you sacrifice anything at all? Is there anything that you would do to take a step towards being with me? And Fritz's answer is, nah. Yeah. Nah. No, nah, that doesn't sound good for me. No, I'm not. If you're in London, I will never visit you. I, I will not take a job. I do not like to be with you. I'm going to go to New Guinea. Uh, see ya. And and yet that is the thing. Like, ultimately, she says, you know what? He shouldn't sacrifice anything to be with me. I want to be with him. So I'm giving up everything. And Ernst says to her, I'll give it all up. I'll, uh, as long as you're with me. Get, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Andy. You can like who you like. You know, you're, you're team Prince Eric and I'm, I like Aladdin. That's just That's how right. it is for That's us. That's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, getting into Roberta's character a little bit um, and let's talk, let's just go in because it's, it's hard to talk about Fritz and Ernst without talking about Roberta. Right. Um, she acts really helpless. Um, she tells Ernst she wants to live in London. Uh, she, she talks with the guy who's the brain, but then she flirts up the brawn I think she's just kind of an opportunist. <laughs> she is and I a think, monster. And I think she pits the two <laughs> brothers against one another. We're laughing so hard, y'all. Um, <laughs> pits the two brothers against one another, right? But she she wants the one she can't get. And then, think- you know, it. she acts like it's not Fritz she wants. I mean, it, she is dancing here and Fritz isn't dancing. Which I appreciate. It's like, look, you like me, you don't. There it is. I I think she is cruel. Uh, because she clearly prefers Fritz to Ernest. Ernst. Mm-hmm. She clearly does. Uh, we see it. But she allows Ernst to think he has a shot with her. Always at the fair. Ha- even when he interrupts them about to kiss with the mm-hmm. with, with the look, I understand her options are limited on this island. Maybe <laughs> she wants to keep them open. That's right. I get it. But she should when when Ernst is clearly smitten with her and she doesn't feel the same way and is clearly more interested in Fritz, she should take she's I get the sense a little older than he is. Not much that it's impossible, but a little bit. She should take a moment and kindly let him know that her feelings towards him are sisterly in nature and it's not going to happen. And instead, she allows things to escalate. Larry, then we don't have conflict. She has to be crazy. Like, like we need a girl here and not just any girl. She has to be crazy. (laughs) But... So and, here's I the mean, thing. I mean, okay, in Roberta's defense, in Roberta's defense, I probably I, would not be at my best had I been like nearly <laughs> kidnapped and, you know, pillaged by pirates, right? So, you know, I give her that. Give her that. Here's what would make me like Roberta. <laughs> okay. If Roberta said, I like both of you, and we felt that she really did like both of them, and said, but I can't be with either one of you because your bond as brothers is more important, and I see that the two of you are fighting over me, and that has to stop. <laughs> right? Because oh. well, I don't like the fight, s- but she, but, but that's all subtext, Larry. Like that's there. It's just subtext. She I don't loves think the it ha- is there. Oh, I think it I, is. Like she loves I the think- hat. She loves the. Yeah, I mean, 
you know. She deliberately plays games with them. Oh, she's playing games for sure. Sure. But I think there I think she's playing games, but I think I think she's playing games because she really does like both of them. I think when Ernst comes to her on the beach and says, I want to live in London and I would do it if you I think she's genuine genuinely touched by that. Do you think she's but he's also kind of a yeah, I mean, he, but he's also kind of a mansplainer, and like, and he's young. Ernst is problematic. I mean, he's Ernst young. Is problematic. Yeah. But, yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, she she has she is exploiting a situation that makes them fight with each other, and I think she knows what she's doing, and they're brothers. And and she at the don't... end of that at the end of that she has some I think she has some remorse about it. You're fighting over me, and I, I don't like it. I think she does. There's a little scene there. Yeah. So. I, I feel and then like father before. comes upon them and sees that this is exactly what's happening. And father's like, you know what? We need a holiday. Like father doesn't help out either <laughs> in this situation. Like take the boys aside and be like, look, we can't be fighting over this girl. No, instead he's going to make a way for them to compete in front of her <laughs> and make it worse. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's I, a that's good the point. Other, they, Great You're point. right. Everything is father's fault. He's raised his children. <laughs> He's father. raised his children to fight against each other. Yeah, to He's be like, competitive. Well, I don't know. I don't know which way my dynasty is gonna go. You have to fight for that. Uh, for, fight for your inheritance. There can be only one. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about Francis, uh, Kevin Corcoran's character, who is, I think, steals the show in this movie. It's my opinion. Uh, He's adorable. He's great. In modern day times, that kid would p- spend all of his time catching Pokemon on his on his cell phone <laughs> or his Nintendo Switch. He clearly oh, yeah. has the heart of a Pokemon trainer. He wants to catch them all. <laughs> as soon as as soon as he's caught one, he's on to the next. He wants an elephant, he gets an elephant. He wants a tiger, he catches a tiger. He he he's he is just everything is his pet. And he won't be satisfied until every animal in the world belongs to him. He's fearless. Yeah, yeah he is. I mean, completely fearless. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, he's and, constantly a problem. I mean, the thing is, he's also an obstacle, right, in this movie. Yeah. And, and because he's constantly, you know, nearly getting himself killed. Um, but, I mean, he grows from this just kind of mischief maker. I mean, he's the one who wants to save the dogs in the beginning, right? Father's just like, let him die. But like, he's like, <laughs> you know, he's the one that calls him and like, he cares about, he cares about things and uh, when, he's great. Actually, he wants to save all of the animals. He yeah. settles for saving the dogs because the dogs are smart enough to respond to him. But the mm-hmm. truth, the truth of the matter is, you know, I, I see him. Look, this is so, so dark what I'm going to say. I see him as <laughs> gluttonous. He's got uh, an appetite for for pets that will never be filled. He will always be hungry for more. Well, I think what we he could, wants is I think what he wants is the attention of his dad, but he's always with his mom. Oh well, good right? luck. Yeah, exactly. Dad, dad, there's only five people on the island. Dad still only has time for one. Uh, there's no one else. That, uh, I, I also I I how many times does your child need to accidentally run off into the wilderness and insert and have an encounter with an <laughs> elephant, an ostrich, a tiger, or what have you before you actually put in some rules and discipline there? I mean, you know, he he sets off a bomb at one point in this movie <laughs> and they're like, kids will be kids. It's like, what what does mother do all day? I know what father does. Father makes the house. 
oh, I don't know. I don't know, you guys. They might not be great parents. <laughs> well, I mean, it's possible. He, he does become a pirate. I mean, he he's kind of an unsung genius in this movie, too. And that he is. he is he's somebody who's he's thinking about here's how the tiger works. And they all kind of go, this wasn't going to work. And it totally does work. <laughs> And his father and his father and the pirate alarm and his father does said to him, well done, Francis. Like he's proud of him in that moment, which is kind of nice. Finally. Thought. Okay. Thought experiment. Each of the children represents a different virtue. We've talked about um, Fritz representing strength and Ernst representing the brain. But maybe Francis is meant to be the heart that he can emotionally connect to all of these animals, and that the three of them together represent three separate virtues, each of which complement one another. Um, The only only problem with this analogy, because I kind of like that, is we also end the movie by saying, and the thing that we don't need is a brain. We'll let that leave the (laughs) island and just focus Uh, on strength and love. Well. Uh, Yeah. I, I but I I actually do think that's what the movie is saying. That's Maybe. Good. Okay. That works for me. That works for me. Um, let's talk about the pirate captain, uh, Koala, played by. Oh, Sessie do we Hop- have to? Ayakawa. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. He's okay. Pirate. No, just really quickly. Like, sure. No, no, no. I want you. him to be smarter than he is, and I think I'm just gonna say it. Like, he's a pirate doing piratey things, right? Um. But he doesn't seem very smart. Uh, and I think this movie would be better served if the pirates were more cunning. Uh, if we kind of got into the pirate world a little bit, as opposed to just what it is. Um, yeah. I think because we've seen Pirates of the Caribbean in five iterations, we uh, these guys feel very flimsy and thin, you know, because mm-hmm. we yeah. know that there's a whole interesting world of pirates that, you know, Disney has explored. Um, but and I think Captain you're right. Hook, like that Captain he, Hook, uh, Treasure Island at this point have come out. So it's weird that yeah. these pirates have no inner life. I mean, I and mean, they just keep running at them. Like how many lives are worth sacrificing under rolling tree trunks for the sake of this one cabin boy, right? That's right. essentially what they... Are they trying to kill the Robinsons or are they just because they've got no wealth for the pirates, right? They just want the cabin boy back. The interesting thing is the motivation appears to be they want the cabin boy back. And it is not clear why it would it would be clear but yucky if they wanted the girls, um, which which I think is probably what they really want. Um, but, but the truth of the matter is they don't have a strong, there's, there's ways of re, I think you're exactly right, Andy. It's, it's not that Koala, like we're talking about him as a character. What we're really feeling here is the absence of an antagonist character who has something to say and is in some way a foil to the Robinson's way of life. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, if he wanted the treehouse. Because he he sees this island and he wants to turn it into a pirate harbor, and he mm-hmm. sees the tree like like if he needs if he needs Father Robinson because he needs an architect in order to build his own place where he's going to despoil the land something right something to make him just not, like like not a mindless quote unquote barbarian who like runs at whatever he sees right right. You're, 
you're right. Captain Hook is a deeper, richer character yeah. with more complicated emotions and wants. And and Captain Hook is not that. Captain Hook Captain Hook is not a model of like depth. Well, and I really think this is an underused actor. I mean, uh, Hayakawa, like you'll see him in silent films from like the 19 teens, and he's always cast as this handsome villain. He owned his own production company uh, for at least three years in the U.S. And I mean, he's got an Academy Award nomination in 1957 for his role as uh, Colonel Saito or Sato in um, the Bridge of the of on the River Kwai, right? So, like, this guy has acting chops, and I just feel like he goes like completely underused and. It's he and Sir John were back at the hotel smoking cigarettes. Like, like, what are we doing here? Probably, (laughs) yes, probably. So, John was like, Do you know what time my call is? (laughs) (laughs) Most of your scenes, most of your scenes are just on the beach. (laughs) So, yeah, I just I feel like it's an underused. I feel like there was a lot more that could have happened here that didn't. Agreed. Agreed. Well, let's talk about protagonist problems. Larry, if there you said you are, had a No, I do. I mean, so, but I would label this section protagonist problems. Um, because <laughs> I, I think there's something that I could I could point out as a problem that I'm fairly sure the two of you won't won't think is. Uh, but I'll I'll throw it out that for me, I don't know where I'm positioned as the audience in terms of who I'm supposed to be rooting for and who I'm not supposed to be rooting for. I feel like the movie sets this up as if father is going to be the character I'm going to be most connected to for this journey. Not that I like father, but that it's father's story. And then the movie shifts a bit and it becomes Fritz and Ernst's story. And again, even then, I don't really feel like, I don't ever feel, so this is my protagonist problem, which is that I don't ever really feel like I am connected to anyone's inner thoughts, that I'm experiencing the movie the way they're experiencing the movie, that I'm react, that I would react to things the way that they react to. I think there's even one section of the movie when, when Ernst, uh, Fritz, and Roberta are together, where I'm more aligned with Roberta than mm-hmm. I am with either Fritz or Ernst. I'm more privy to her secrets than I am to theirs. And while I'm going to say that this is a problem, because in most movies it would be, I'm wondering if you guys found it problematic or if you think that's part of the charm. That's an interesting question. Who do you think changes the most in this story? I think father. Yeah, I, I would think agree with that. I think father starts off so heavy handed with his children. And once once he starts focusing on survival, he he goes on an arc where he has to give the kids the tools they need to survive. And father becomes teacher, maybe for the first time in, in their lives. And at the end of this movie, I see the one thing that I miss in not having like before the inciting incident is if the movie began with father telling mother that they were going to New Guinea and the movie ended with father asking mother, is this what you want? We would have such Mm -hmm. a full protagonist character arc for him that he would unquestionably be the protagonist. Interesting. But I don't, I don't know that anybody else really experiences 
growth. I think they experience change in circumstances. So I'm going to throw this out. I'm going to throw this out there because I just thought of it and it's totally untested, but hear me out. Um, (laughs) I think this whole family operates almost as a protagonist with Roberta being the antagonist and the pirates sort of being an obstacle. Um, Roberta, Roberta's when she joins the crowd, everything changes because Fritz and Ernst were getting along. Things were kind of good. John Mills is, or Father Robinson, I want him to have a first name, is like his, on his, his name is now Swiss. Swiss, yeah. Mr. Swiss is doing great. He's, he's, <laughs> like his he's, whole name is Swiss Family Robinson. Okay, good. He is actually so, named after him. So SF is doing great. And he's, you know, he's he's kind of at the end of the first act, like he's he's comfortable and they're in a good spot. But I think when Roberta joins and maybe Roberta's the inciting incident. She maybe she's we were up doing exposition all the way up to Roberta. I don't know. She's, she's definitely the inciting incident of Act Two. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or Hour Two of the Wonderful World of Disney Bart That's part right. of it. Right, right, right. right. Um, no, no. I, I, I can, I can definitely see that. Uh, any other answers on this one? Uh, do were you guys connected to someone more than anybody else? Well, I think that's part of why I asked the, are you team Fritz or team Ernst? Because I, I do feel like you, you kind of connect in with someone. Like I understand that person more than I understand these other people, but that doesn't mean that they're the protagonist driving the story. It just happens to be that I've chosen Ernst as my POV character, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that he, it's his story or that he's making choices or changing or any of those things we use to define a protagonist. Ernst is, is kind of in the brainy Smurf role. Of, of yeah. <laughs> if, I don't know if everybody's up on their Smurf, Smurf mythology. <laughs> I don't. I think we are supposed to find him as annoying as Father and Fritz find him, and Francis finds him. That 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 we are supposed to be annoyed by him. I think the problem is if you're going to have a character that we're supposed to find annoying, you don't cast Tommy Kirk in that role because <laughs> yeah. I find him delightful. Um, and and you know. You know, and, and he, I think he approaches the role with a certain love. I think Andrea said it earlier. He approaches the role with a certain level of joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't help but like him. Yeah. Yeah. I That's like Andy's I, theory that it's everyone, that the yeah. family together is the protagonist, and then the outside forces are, you know, what they're acting against. I do think the movie is intended to, to be a collective protagonist story. Uh, so I guess my change would be. Every character needs to have an arc. Every character needs to start as some but one person and end as another. I feel that father and probably mother. I, I mean, we could spend more time with mother and watch. Oh, I yeah. would actually love it if mother started off the way she is. And by the end, she's an adventurer, too, with the rest of them rolling up her sleeves and doing work with everybody else. She did. Like but I said, she did shoot somebody. So she did. She did shoot somebody. But but more. <laughs> But more that all yeah. of them, need, well, we, we, when we see them at the end of the movie, we should feel like I don't even recognize the characters from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And maybe what, what I really want to see with Fritz and Ernst is for them to trade places. That Ernst no longer values education because he's he's found a new strength here. And Fritz, who always valued strength, suddenly realizes there's so much more he wants to learn. Yeah, uh, I think that would be I, good. I think we could shore up all of these character storylines a little bit more. And I again, I don't know that this is a problem, but I think we can 
I think in modern screenwriting, we would do better by each of these characters and give them more opportunities to grow. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's where I, I end on that. Well, speaking of modern screenwriting, this is pitch time. What would we do with this material for Swiss Family Robinson? Ooh. I have a pitch. Go yeah, for it. Bring it. All right. So my my pitch is a limited series um, called New Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a mystery. So the idea is that it happens like fifteen, maybe t- maybe twenty years after the end of this movie. Um, Ernst has gone to London. He has married. He has three daughters. He has not seen his family in all this time, like we discussed. And um, he gets a letter from um, his father, the governor of New Switzerland, that mother is not doing well. And so he decides we're going to take the family um, to to meet. He's going to have his mother meet his wife and his three daughters for the first time. But when he gets there, much like uh, this, the colony of Roanoke, the entire place is abandoned. He ha- there's, no- there's no one there. The treehouse is there every- the- with more treehouses, <laughs> more buildings. They've made a little colony, but no one is there and there's no clue as to why. And so we have a couple characters maybe that have come on the ship and they all stay to solve, solve the mystery. That's my Andrea. That's New is, Switzerland. This was the almost exactly <laughs> what I had. Is this your pitch? I, <laughs> I write I, it together. Let's write I, it together. I there. didn't have it 15 years in the future. I had it, I had it less. I didn't have him having a family yet, but that he comes back mm-hmm. and they're all gone and he's gotta find them. I'm gonna oh, I will oh. come up with something else, Andy. If you want to do yours, <laughs> I I will put something together. Uh, well, I, I thought it would right. be really cool to do sort of a, you know, how the, we did Treasure Planet and we did Treasure Island. I thought it would be really cool to do like a Swiss Family Robinson idea in space where, you know, we have a family that goes out to Mars and they discover these, you know, new creatures and um, have, you know, a lot of difficulties and ha- are kind of stranded out on Mars and have to make it on their own. Do you want a fun fact, Andy? Sure. That is the pitch for Lost in Space. Is That's why really? that family. That's why is that family is the Robinson family. Stop it! Family. Are you serious? I didn't the original, know that. Okay. The original TV series title for it was Space Family Robinson. Stop yeah. it! Okay. Well, I feel like an idiot now, but yeah. So that was well. You're again, not an idiot, though. It's apparently a good it's pitch. It's a great idea. <laughs> I should have known. I should have known. It is a great pitch. And it was going to be my second choice for something. Uh, so here is what I'm going to come up with off the spot. This is this is jazz-like improv. Are you ready? Yes. yes. I'm going to tell the story of Swiss Family Robinson from the perspective of the animals. Specifically, we're ah. going to start with the animals on the ship. And the dogs and the anim- other animals leave. And the rest of the animals are like, What's happening with us? I can't believe they left us. And maybe some of the animals are like, hey, you know, you know, um, you know, like they'll come back for us. And the pig's like, I'm doomed either way. And the shark is like circling. But then the animals do get rescued and they go onto the island and the and the farm animals of 
of rural Switzerland must meet the island animals. Maybe a duck falls in love with the ostrich. Maybe, um, you know, maybe the elephant and the and the pig like find some common ground by, by the muddy river. Uh, and what we what we learn is we see like as the Swiss Family Robinson are having their own adventure, like the monkeys and the ducks and the dogs, and they all come together and create a community of animals. And it's animated, and there are songs, and there yeah. are songs, and uh, I have not thought this out that well, but uh, but the villain, the okay jazz, <laughs> the villain of this movie is the pirate's pet parrot, um, who could choose to belong with this community, but instead, like Iago, is greedy. Uh, and selfish. Maybe he tries to turn the community against each other. Mm. Uh, but but he su- he suffers his own his own bad guy fate, and uh, and that's that's what it is. It's um, that's my that's my pitch. I love it. That's my pitch. I'm, I'm amazed in. you just come up with that off the top of your head. I know it's ridiculous, I, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, ridiculously awesome. No, yeah. it's amazing. I, I would it's watch a superpower. that. Yeah, it is a superpower. Okay, okay, Good stuff. Well, well, thank you. Andrea, it was wonderful and quite awesome having you here. Thank you for choosing Swiss Family Robinson and being our guest star today. We really Thank appreciated you. it. It was so much fun. I love being here. Yeah. Yay. Come back sometime for Thanks. sure. Yeah. Larry, what movie are we tackling next week? Oh, boy, Andy. Um, we are tackling <laughs> the Tigger movie. Ooh, and, and I don't know how we're going to get through it, Andy, because, because oh. I have... Oh, I, I am concerned. I am concerned about this movie. I am reasonably certain that this joke I have be about... I'm concerned about Tigger. <laughs> no, because as I recall, I think Owl does some despicable things in this movie. Oh, well. And, and I feel like my venom is going to come out. Well, I, I really, yeah. Sharpen your I, spear. <laughs> I... I, I think this may be the movie where I get you on my side in my crusade against Owl. <laughs> Excellent. This will be this will be the well, time. And, and I, I'm looking yeah. very I'm looking very forward to this. So, hey, uh, friends, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or a classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. You can tweet us at, at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner Six, or drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So, until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon.